slash and cast. To hand a whiskey presented by the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Our show discusses horror movies and the phobias they emphasize. And tonight we are continuing our deep dive into religiophobia, which is the fear of religion. Uh, with a very interesting first time watch for me. I cannot wait to dive into this one. Uh, but this is definitely one of those movies that, you know, when I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, like, well, this is going to be a harder movie to kind of, like, talk about and digest just because of how everything's kind of laid out. But I have to say, like, for, for me, like, not knowing anything going into this movie, I was just so flabbergasted by the end of it. I had such a good time. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Um, I'm so glad to hear that. So this was my pick. So Possession, uh, it's always um, listed as Possession 1981 in parentheses. Mm. I think because there was there's there's a lot there's a couple of other movies called Possession. And mm. I don't know if it's meant just to sort of separate it from from other movies that you might think it is. But it's got uh, Sam Neill and shoot. I forgot the actress's name. Um, Elizabeth Ajami. It's Isabel. Uh, well, uh, Ajani, uh, what's her first name? Isabel. Is it mm-hmm. Oh, perfect. Okay. What is it? It's Isabel Ajani. Isabel. Isabel. So, uh, you know, I, I think, I can't remember how I ended up watching this movie, but I know that uh, several years back, John gave me, like, just a zip drive full of, like, a ton of movies. And so, just going, making my way through them. And uh, watching this one just because I thought it sounded kind of interesting. And just again, like you were saying, being blown away, had no idea what it was about. And uh, I rewatched it, of course, recently for this recording. And <laughs> okay, so um, it's so interesting. The first time I watched it, I was 100% sure it was based off that, it was about religion. And uh, I've been doing a little bit of research, and there's definitely that angle. That, that people can take with this movie. But the movie is so um, artsy-fartsy that really, you know, it can be interpreted in a couple of different ways. And I've been doing a little bit of homework and I'm really excited, I'm, I'm really eager to hear what you guys, what you guys thought about it and what theories you might have developed about it. Mm-hmm. Right after you let your pizza man in. <laughs> not for, well, that's not for me, but... <laughs> Go ahead, T. I, I was just going to say, like, you know, the really the only thing I knew about this movie, like, kind of going in was more about, like, the, the creature design and just, like, mm-hmm. knowing who did it because it was the same guy who had created E.T., uh, which... And Alien. Uh, yeah, and Alien initially, um, which was great to see. But, yeah, it's just... I, I find it funny, like, this was kind of, like, the, the bridging point leading into something a little bit more lighthearted for him because, like... You're talking about this and then E.T., those are complete, you know, opposites from one another. Mm-hmm. What you have sex with, one's supposed to be a small childish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess not as religious as 
because I kind of thought it was too when I uh, went into what because I probably watched it. I've watched it a couple of times in the past, maybe two or three before this last viewing, but it's been a few years uh, since I've seen it. And so I thought there was kind of more of that going on, but yeah, we can talk more about that. But I was like, oh yeah, this isn't quite as about religion as I thought or remembered or whatever, you know. This is a hard movie that's kind of difficult to remember at least on after the first, you know, viewing or two, it's probably hard to, because it doesn't totally work like a conventional story. It's batshit crazy. <laughs> and it does some weird things <laughs> with, poss- I haven't watched any in-depth analysis about this movie or heard any commentary track, but uh, there, I noticed in this one, there's definite, sort of timeline stuff going on where things are told out of order, but they don't give you necessarily any strong indication that things are being told out of order. Uh, and I just kind of noticed it and didn't still didn't figure it out exactly, you know, how it works in that way. But, uh, but yeah, so it's, I have it up on my computer to skip through too, just to kind of remind me of stuff. <laughs> it's kind of similar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, not the same, obviously, but kind of similar to talk about to like House, uh, the the Japanese movie, where it's almost difficult to talk about because it doesn't have that normal structure and storytelling thing that you can be like, Oh, in the beginning, this happened. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle, you know, this happened. It is a very artsy movie. And, you know, uh, something I also thought about a lot while watching it, uh, is you, is this a horror movie? And ultimately I thought, yes, but I feel like you, it falls, I don't know, I'll kind of talk about that stuff more as we go along, but uh, it is a horror movie, but I can see how people might sort of try to argue that it's not even exactly a horror movie, in a way. I would challenge that. I mean, we got a sex creature, we got violent murders, we've got... Yeah, for sure. A crazy uh, subway miscarriage, like... Mm-hmm. It's a horror movie. <laughs> if you're watching the first half of the movie, you almost feel like you're watching a straight-up relationship drama until things start to really like go off the rails. Like that's that minute. I looked it up. <laughs> it was what, I remember thinking I, when I, when the monster made the appearance, I paused it to check the time because it'd been like such a long time, right? So it'd been 41 minutes. I remember thinking, I hope T hung in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I think I may have looked at the clock too at that point and was like, "Oh, wow, okay." Like you, with, this would be tough. You couldn't release this as a straight-up Hollywood horror movie today because you know, forty minutes before any overt horror stuff happens, you know, there there's going to be those one-star reviews. Terrible movie. <laughs> nothing happened. And because they turned it off after the first half hour. And then everything happens. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm still so in love with this movie. It's just so, it's so elevated. It's so um, smart and crazy and really hard to follow. And 
it makes you feel like you need to be a little bit smarter to figure out what's going on. So I, um, you know, I watched the movie again, and then um, I did I did do research, but it's just today. So I know that there's probably a lot out there that I didn't get to. So read some articles, watched some videos, some reviews. There's one really smart review on YouTube that has a lot of history about the director, the um, uh, the style of acting, which I thought was so interesting, uh, and uh, and even a little bit about you know the the uh, a little bit of background about the monster and the maker. And uh, and then of course uh, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of articles um, that I that I that I found that were actually creating that link with religion that I had that I had sensed or that I had sort of uh, thought was there when I initially watched it, which you know I, I think it is there, but I I feel like there's a chance that I might have been like reading into it a little bit with because of my own background, but my own religious background. But I don't care. I think it's there, <laughs> and I think we can talk about it. So, uh, yeah, but I love that we jumped right into the monster, right into the tentacle, <laughs> you know, the tentacle sex monster. I mean, why beat around the bush? Let's get right into the bush. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, when I, when I saw this, I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> I'm like, so we're doing this. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember thinking like, uh, oh, is she killing people to feed them to the, mo no, <laughs> the foster, the monster just likes sex. That's all it wants to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, well, well, yeah, we'll get there. I don't want to jump ahead too much to the monster. I know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so as we as we mentioned, like, kind of like the first thirty minutes is focusing more on the relationship aspect. You know, mm -hmm. you have Sam Neil who is basically returning home because uh, he was, you know, away on a work trip, which you know he's. I'm trying to remember, like, what exactly his thing was. He was, like, some sort of, like, spy, because he had, like, yeah. these really weird meetings. Uh, yeah. You know, he was carrying around, like, briefcases full of cash. Yeah. Uh, well, so, 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 yeah, so he basically returns home, uh, only to find out that his wife, Anna, wants to get a divorce. Um, so, you know, we, we have the split happening. And then in the next couple of days, you know, Mark learns that... Uh, through one of Anne's friends that Anne had actually had a lover while he was away doing, you know, whatever job he was doing at the time. And so that kind of, like, left her stressing quite a bit. Uh, and, you know, she doesn't really, like, want to break up with him over someone else. And then we kind of get that slow descent into madness from both characters at different times, which was really great to see. Because at one point it's like, you know, Anne wanted nothing to do with him but she wanted to keep custody of the kid and then she's like going off and just abandoning the kid altogether. And then, you know, Sam Neill like swoops in kind of, and then there's this weird like role reversal, which I thought was pretty intriguing. So it just felt like no matter what was happening, like Anne's character just didn't really want to like be in the apartment because she was, you know, off doing other things. But then, you know, Mark also wanted nothing to do with the kid initially either. So you're talking about that, uh, the cafe scene, and it's so, the movie is, it's a very long movie. It's a two hour long movie, two hours plus. And almost every scene is really incredible and beautiful and in incredibly well acted the, in the entire time. And so I kind of want to go through like scene by scene, but that would take forever. But we can pick and choose and we can, we can pick maybe the cafe scene, which is one of the earliest scenes where after he's arrived and uh, they've split up. Um, he wants to meet her at a, at a, at a cafe so they can talk and they sit sort of like 
like not next to each other, but sort of like looking away from each other, which was really interesting. And then they get into this insane fight, incredible fight, you know, at this cafe where there's chairs being thrown, like the chefs come out, the major D comes out and they're holding him back. And she's like, she's throwing shit and he's throwing shit. And it's just, I, I, I thought it was the most amazing scene. And I remember thinking like, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in my life. It was, I, I wish I did. That scene is great. Uh, they, uh, it's, he, uh, I think she comes in and he's already there or vice versa, but he's sitting at the table facing one way and then she sits at the other table facing the other direction. Uh, and what's great I, that I noticed on this viewing is that it's there's all these mirrors mm -hmm. behind them and on the walls and everything. And the whole time that that scene's happening, you never see their reflections in the mirror. And you never see, of course, the camera's reflection in the mirror, but they're all surrounded and the camera is constantly moving around and changing position. And yet it's all the mirrors are arranged in a way where you never see anything, which is also kind of weird how you don't see them. But there was like a moment at the very end where I saw part of Sam Neill's head in the mirror, but I thought that was really cool. But I also wanted to go back even a little before that and call out a couple of things. There's a great moment in the very beginning when Sam Neill's character comes home and he gets out of the cab and take, or maybe it's his car, and he takes his bags out and walks up to the sidewalk and she's coming out to meet him. And he puts his bags down and then she's walking up to him and then he picks his bags back up again and acts like he's going to walk and then sets them down again. And it was, it's so weird because it's just like he repeats the action of put, picking them up and putting them down for like no reason. And it's kind of one of those things like right away you're just like there's weird things happening here that don't quite make sense but it's all kind of subtle and not super noticeable. But Maybe also, he needed her help to like carry the bags because yeah, there were too many bags and so I thought he could chase after but he's like shit I can't take all my bags. Yeah, and then he like just picks them all up and carries them once she goes back in. Oh, I guess but, uh, <laughs> but then one of my favorite scenes that you mentioned, uh, T, that also happens in this section, and one of my it's one of my favorite scenes from the movie, whole movie is the uh, scene where he talks to his bosses, and they're in a big empty office room that just has a table and chairs around it, and. The whole scene, the camera rotates around the room looking at them and it just continuously rotates while this weird conversation is happening where even when you listen to the conversation, it doesn't really make sense. It's, it's, it's really well written where they're having this full on conversation and talking about these things, but they do it in a way where you never really know what they're talking about. But you can get this sense, you know, and you talked about it, T, that uh, and after watching multiple viewings, you get this sense that he, and I'm positive now, that he is a spy, either a government spy, most likely, maybe for America, maybe for England, or he's like maybe a corporate spy, but probably a government spy. Well, the movie's supposed to be in West Berlin. Yeah. 
<laughs> right on the border where the wall is with East Berlin, <clears throat> which back you know was uh, when after World War II when Germany was split in half, and what was East East Germany was sort of like the bad one, quote unquote, and West Germany was the good one. Clearing <laughs> <laughs> <Turn> that up. <laughs> A little history lesson. Uh, now you know everything about East and West Germany. And then David Hasselhoff wrote a song, and then they uh, broke down the wall because <laughs> David Hasselhoff wrote a song about how bad the Berlin Wall was. Uh, <laughs> I but I love that scene. Just It's so surreal and weird. Uh, and, and it's like... You're just kind of like, what is like, what is this? What's happening? But uh, it's just really cool looking. And it ends in a really weird way. That one of the guys is like, does he still wear pink socks? Which oddly enough comes up later. You're like, what? <laughs> you see that guy with the pink socks, which I never connected until this last viewing, where I, oh, I was like, oh, that's the guy they're talking about. <laughs> uh, but. Um, and yeah, and then they and he basically says, "I'm done, or I'm taking at least taking a long break, and my uh, replacement. You can deal with my replacement." And uh, and then walks out, yeah, with a suitcase full of cash. <laughs> at that point, I walk out somewhere with a suitcase full of cash. <laughs> He's kind of a James Bond figure in a weird way. So. Any thoughts on his three-wit bender that he has right after him and Anna split after the cafe scene? <laughs> it, I mean, in some ways, in a general way, there's kind of like they're breaking up, and uh, he—it's like at first he's the one who is taking it really badly, and she's kind of like, "Well, I'm seeing Heinrich, and I'm happy with him." And she seems like more okay. And then it kind of switches. It seems like where he becomes more okay with the breakup and everything. And she's starting to get freaked out. But there's that great shot and great scene where he's on the phone and the camera's right up in his face and he's freaking out. And it, his face looks so psychotic. And he just, it almost looks like there's like, there's obviously no CGI, but it almost looks like there was some kind of subtle effect on his face, making his face sort of distort in weird ways. So apparently the whole, like, you know, how everybody was acting so crazy throughout the movie. And by that, I mean, uh, not the, the characters, I mean, the actors, the, the acting was very, uh, very magnified and just really like bigger than life. I guess that's like a, that was, that's a, a, an acting technique from uh, specific to Poland, which is where the director's from. And uh, it's a, from a very respectable school of, you know, thought. And I thought all the actors pulled it off really well because, you know, it's been mentioned before that it's, it's so easy to look, look silly when you're, when you're overacting like that. But I, I thought it was great. I thought it was, um, it, it's the, ins the insanity of everything just really heightened the, the tension of the movie. And, and uh, it, it, you really can't take your eyes off the screen. It's, I thought it was pretty amazing. Yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> it was also very taxing and a Johnny, because she had to take a break after this movie. Ooh. Because it took like yeah, such a big toll on her. 
Yeah, that's what I heard. Is that she because it's isn't it uh, method acting is the the style. Uh, yeah, she even and, attempted uh, suicide after filming too. Oh, what's that? She uh, she attempted suicide after filming this. Mm -hmm. Holy crap! And this was supposed to be like her big comeback because um, apparently she'd also been like blacklisted for being difficult to work with, which could also be code for somebody wanted to have sex with her and she didn't want to do that. Yeah, that's what we've since learned is what that means. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which makes total sense. I'm sure uh, that's probably what happened. Yeah, she it's she really basically neat. summed up um, at least the subway scene as being emotional pornography. <laughs> oh, there's also some uh, I was seeing uh, in this other video that um, I guess that in order to get them to act at this level the director had them sort of uh, undergo hypnosis as a way to like enter into a trance and sort of use that experience to connect to their acting it's pretty nutty and also very emotionally and mentally invasive <laughs> yeah I mean there's definitely people there's arguments on both sides, you know, where some people feel like method acting is kind of, is not really a good thing and they don't recommend it. And then, you know, people who, who do kind of like it and use it, but it's gotten, definitely gotten a bad reputation today nowadays mm -hmm. um, because it's definitely viewed as it can be, but can definitely be viewed as unprofessional in today's, environment where if you're acting in like really crazy over the top ways and mm -hmm. the camera isn't running you know then you're it's like you're making things worse for everyone around you well, didn't a story come out about jared leto doing that for suicide squad yeah famously yeah he did yeah. he was acting like the joker when they weren't working and messing with the other actors I'm just thinking, if you're going to put yourself at risk like that, it should probably be for, like, an Oscar-worthy role, not for fucking Suicide Squad. I mean, geez. Yeah, even uh, there's been stories that have come out uh, that Jim Carrey, when he was doing the movie about um, the comedian, you know, the famous comedian. Oh, who the Hoffman movie? Yeah, there's, like, a lot of stories that have come out since then of people oh, that were, like, it was kind of miserable working on that movie because... He acted like that all the time, and there was no separation. You know, he didn't act like Jim during the filming of the movie. But yeah, and can be taxing on the people who do it too. Yeah, for sure. And then, oh, go ahead. I was just going to talk about like I don't know if you had anything else to finish up with that. Well, I was just going to say too that I've heard also that it can have the effect too on the actor who does it, like uh, Isabella Johnny, where they find that they can't break out of the role because they've adopted it so much and they're so deep in it that it actually starts to affect them, you know, and affect And them. a movie like this, which is, uh, I mean, it's psychologically jarring. It's, it's, it, I, I classify it as horror and it had to be like, it must've been, it must've been so hard for them. And, um, and I was just thinking about how, how impressive Sam Neill is and how impressive he's always been, right? Like, he's, he's always been an incredible actor. Mm -hmm. uh, but I hadn't seen him in, 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 a, in such an early role. Uh, I think he's, like, in his early 30s in this. And uh, there's, something so, like, there's something so dangerous about him, you know? Like, like it's, he, um, 
I, I was just really impressed, basically. Like, you know, you see him in older roles and he's like, you, you know, you're you're able to appreciate like how much control he has of himself. And I'm, and I'm talking about the way that he's acting, mm-hmm. not him as a person, of course. Uh, but in this younger role, like, it's, I don't know, like it's you, you get really hit hard with how, how much of a presence he has and, and how much, um, like just how much power is behind, like, you know, like his personality. Like it's, it's really, he's really impressive. And it's also like his personal favorite role that he did too, on top of that. Really? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, so it was primarily just because, like, for this movie in particular, like, it was very physical, much more emotional, like, on the difficulty scale. Um, And, you know, like, yeah, he went on to, you know, talk about, like, how, yeah, like, it nearly killed him. Um, But, you know, he really enjoyed that sort of experience. Work, You know, working with, uh, you know, the director was fantastic. Um, But, yeah, definitely, definitely an interesting uh, performance just with how everything was really overacted and just very dramatic, really across the board. Like, I think for me personally, like, the scene after, like, he beat up the wife and she's, like, running across the street. Like, you see the stream of blood, like, running down was very striking. Yeah, that was another really awesome scene. Um, uh, When she first, when they run out into the street and the truck almost hits her and then the cars, the wrecked cars on the back go flying off the back of the truck. And then uh, she, uh, something I wanted to mention about her acting and in this scene is really great is uh, she's so good at uh, her face. Like, you know exactly what she's trying to convey by her face and it, she'll change it like every few seconds in this movie where she'll like one moment she'll look scared and then she'll look evil and psychotic and then she'll look happy and then and it's all like connected to what her character is doing but i thought that was really great when uh the car accident happens and everything and then she kind of stops and the camera's kind of rotating around her and she starts looking like really evil and there's like blood running out of her mouth and then she kind of runs away with her uh coat sort of flapping like a cape <laughs> yeah, she looks like a mom like she's like a scary like vampire woman you know in that part She's genius. But I feel like in that role, I mean, wasn't she like, it almost looked like she was trying to step in front of the truck because the truck was coming from a distance. Yeah. And she, yeah. yeah she's trying to get away from, from Mark, Sam Neill. And so she kind of, it looks like she's almost trying to step in front of the truck and the truck veers off, crashes, the cars go flying. And it almost looks like she's thinking that she's kind of untouchable or that she she has more power than than she thought or something. And, and yeah, she gets that sort of like happy look on her face and like runs away. <laughs> It's crazy. So, uh, in the category of I'm a terrible person, uh, <laughs> I laughed out loud. Um, so, not the scene, the part where he is slapping her is really messed up. Um, it's, you know, super, like, done in this really cool way where it's like, he just like keeps going and it's like, oh my God, like, you think he's going to stop, but then he doesn't. And it's super messed up. But then uh, there is this shot after he he kind of stops and the camera goes is like right in his face and he says, "You know why I did that? The lies." <laughs> you were talking about that part. But Wait, what, it, what does he say? He says, he says, you know, he says something like, "You know why I did that? 
the lies. <laughs> but it, it was a very uh like no wire hangers kind of thing. <laughs> and uh that's the thing like this movie is great and the acting is really good but it does get so melodramatic and intense that it's, it, it can sort of like trigger laughter and it becomes almost like that kind of mommy dearest it's like, oh, it, it was making me think it's of like, it's like an opera almost, you know, um, but without the singing. But you know how in operas, especially classic operas, it's, everything is super dramatic and heightened and mm-hmm. it's like way over the top. But uh, but no, that was, that whole scene is, is really good. Yeah, like even, but, even after uh, he told that to Anne, though, and like retorted back, like, well, then you need to keep beating me because like the lies didn't just stop there. There was more that hadn't even come to, you know, the forefront at that point. Mm-hmm. And I, I like also the way that uh, there's a lot of dialogue in the first half of the movie where Sam Neill will ask her something or say something. He'll kind of be like, you don't like me anymore. And she'll be like, yeah. (laughs) He'll be like, you can't stand to be around me. And she'll be like, yeah. (laughs) If I told you that I really liked it with him, if if I met him, I would You like how you think sex with Heinrich is better, don't you? And she's like, yeah. "Yeah." (laughs) It's so funny. She never lies to him uh, about any of that stuff or tries to, like, soften the blow. She just answers. The tentacle monster. (laughs) Yeah, basically, basically what I learned from this movie is never to grill people and, you know, just ask them a bunch of questions when they're trying to cut meat. Yeah. And we, we have another uh, another electric knife. Right, this is why I don't trust an electric knife, and I kind of want to get one. Yeah, <laughs> which it's so interesting because electric knives do seem to be a common appliance back in the day. But do I don't know that people. I don't. I don't have one. I don't know anyone that has one anymore. That has. I don't think I ever met anyone who had who had one. But, and I feel like I've seen it in at least three or four movies where somebody hurt themselves or others with a knife, with, a, with an electric knife. So you're saying they have a bad reputation. Yeah, that's why nobody carries them anymore. It's maybe it just really triggers like intrusive thoughts of hurting self-harm or hurting others. Well, then it's like, you know, she tries to cut herself with the knife and then uh, he's just kind of standing there and then he's just like, hmm, like cutting myself with the electric knife and then does that does it <laughs> yeah, and, uh, that was like pretty ominous it's uh, so crazy like that kitchen got they got so much mileage out of that kitchen there's like four scenes in that kitchen and they get into two fights in that kitchen and they have sex in that kitchen like it's and it's a tiny little kitchen it's mm-hmm. in that kitchen and uh I also wanted to mention that they have their own meat grinder, like a fancy, nice meat grinder, which I was thinking, okay, I guess that's that was kind of like a hip appliance to have back in the day. Well, I guess, uh, I don't know, was there was ground meat not that popular in West Berlin in 1980? <laughs> I guess you couldn't just go to the supermarket and get ground beef at that point. You had to wait in lines. Around the block to get ground beef in 
West Berlin in the 80s. No, yeah. So, I mean, like, I know that the movie was, there. there's a lot of people that talk about its political sort of, a, um, like, you know, under undertone or whatever you want to call it. The director was kicked out of Poland for, um, for having sort of radical political thoughts. And even in the movie, it's brought up that there's like the, 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 the wall is visible from several scene in several scenes. Oh yeah, definitely. There's that scene after he discovers the body parts in the, in the fridge where he runs to get air and he opens up the windows and he sticks out his head out, you know, he's out in the balcony and that's where you can see the wall. And also there's, yeah, definitely, it, uh, you can see it from his apartment where there's a bunch of scenes where he'll be looking out, or not a bunch, but a few scenes where he's looking out the window. And you also see uh, East Berlin soldiers apparently watching him with binoculars oh, right, yeah. uh, at certain about times. That. that was a pretty big one. But I was going to say, if I'm seeing the words body parts in the refrigerator, it's a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> half makes it very clear. But I also feel like, not to jump ahead too much, but that this is a horror movie about relationships. Mm-hmm. That, you know, like, this is an artsy movie, and eventually we'll get to the monster, but uh, this is, I feel like this is the kind of story where it's like the real horror is, is the relationship. First off, it's man. <laughs> the real monster is man. <laughs> well, I mean, like they also said that uh, it's supposed to be, you know, slightly autobiographical. You know, the director was going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of those elements, you know, were in the movie and that the movie is essentially about, you know, the separation between two people. But we mm-hmm. will get to the religion part maybe in a little bit. Yeah. And I can I can make my case. So we we kind of jumped over one really weird part, which is where uh, when when Mark Sam Neill is taking care of his kid, you know, kind of feeding him and taking him to school and shit. So he meets the kid's teacher, mm-hmm. who is a doppelganger of Anna, mm-hmm. and he even like tries to like take her her what he thinks is a wig off of her head, but she's got bright green eyes. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that is a wig. I'm pretty sure she was wearing because that's obviously it's uh, Isabel Ajani. In the movie, though, in the movie, it's real. In real life, it was fake. Oh yeah, definitely. She has contacts <laughs> and a wig uh, to make her look slightly different, but and she does kind of look different enough in a way that mm-hmm. at first it almost could be a different actress who just looks like her, but then you realize it is her, of course. But yeah, and. Uh, She's like the nice, sweet version of uh, of her, of the wife, uh, and always wearing white. I don't know if you noticed. Always wearing white, as opposed to the blue dress that mm-hmm. uh, the main character is always wearing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then we get to a really fun part where we meet Heinrich, and Heinrich is insane. Mm-hmm. I like Heinrich. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm Team Heinrich. <laughs> <laughs> he looks a lot like, uh, he kept reminding me of, uh, what's his name, you know, who plays Hannibal. Silence of the Lambs? Who? Silence of the Lambs guy? Yeah, yeah. What's his name? I'm blanking on it. Anthony Ooh, Hopkins. He's so famous. Anthony Hopkins, yeah. He looks like Anthony Hopkins a lot. I kind of wish it happened, Anthony Hopkins. I'm not going to lie to you. That would have been really rad. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Heinrich's really funny. He's very like, uh, as as uh, 
Sam Neill's character calls him. He's like a Zen. Uh, what do you call? Uh, I don't know. He calls him kind of like a Zen poet or something like that. And he's, oh yeah. He lives with his mom in a nice apartment and is. It's so funny. He's a great character because he's kind of meant to be sort of a bad guy because the wife, you know, Isabel is cheating with him and we're and you're kind of not supposed to like him but at the same time he's always really nice and respectful to Sam Neil uh I the shit out of him <laughs> so it's like you kind of like him uh and he's funny and like you you sort of uh he's never like overtly an asshole or a jerk you know um I would you know, be. when he beats up when he only beats up Sam Neill, because Sam Neill attacks him. Well, he's also he's trying to get Sam Neill's hands all over him, too. And he was yeah. also... They were trying to he, be one. <laughs> and he tries to sexually assault Anna right before he sees the the, uh, the tentacle monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, we, we all knew that it wasn't going to happen because she's, you know, on her home turf with tentacle monsters, so yeah. <laughs> it's going to be fine. But... You know, he does say something like, oh, don't try to fight me. You know, like, that's not going to work and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I was a bad guy. But of course, it's like one of those, like, morally ambiguous uh, dudes from, like, the freaking 70s and 80s where he's, like, also trying to help her but also trying to hurt her. And it's just like, ugh. Yeah. No, definitely. No, he is, like, basically a a bad guy. But, uh, no, it's just a funny performance and character for sure and strange when he's on drugs at first i thought he was supposed to be drunk but then i was like no he's got it's got to be that he's meant to be on something else because he's oh, so you mean when he goes to see sam neil at his house and he's just like doing a lot of this mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, cool. but a lot of that stuff and things that happen feel like a stage play right you know? Where they the movements and everything have to be more over the top for the people who are in the further back seats, you know, <clears throat> and very kind of, and a lot of it also felt sort of like modern dance too, not just the interpretive, stuff, yeah, like what well, the stuff he was doing and the stuff that uh, Isabel Johnny was doing in the subway when she has her breakdown. There was almost like kind of a dance element to it, which actually kind of makes sense because. I've had completely forgotten that they show that she's actually a dance instructor in the movie. That's right, yeah. And that he, him, Heinrich himself also works in that world. I think that's how she meets him is, right, because he's filming her. We get like a whole flashback scene. Together, yeah. And so right before we mm -hmm. get that scene, that great scene at the subway, is when uh, we find that Mark doesn't know where she's going because she's supposed to be going to Margie's house. And we don't have to talk too much about Margie, but what the fuck's up with Margie? She was so weird. <laughs> Margie's <laughs> funny. Yes, like ask for no reason. My theory is uh, there's a couple of funny things about her. Like one is, uh, well, I think she she's like their friend, both <laughs> friends with both of them. But I get the sense that she's attracted to Sam Neil and wants to hook up with him, but you know she doesn't because she's friends with both of them. But there are some moments where she kind of, yeah, you get the feeling that 
with him is very like seductive and mm-hmm. very sexual. <clears throat> yeah, like she but, she wants to bust Mark's balls for like failing at his relationship, but you know she's definitely DTF with Mark. <laughs> that's one of the things I like uh, is when she says something like uh, she basically makes a comment that she is happy to see him so miserable because it it gives her hope or something like that, which after watching it multiple times, I, I interpret that now as that, you know, when Samuel and Isabel's character were before the events of this movie, they were like the perfect couple, like, because their breakup is so bad and so extreme that they were probably one of those couples who were like attached at the hip and always appeared to be super perfect and awesome and amazing. And I like to think that Margie basically was really jealous and annoyed by it. And that now that they were having this horrible breakup, she was like, Oh, good. Not just, she was like happy, not just, because she thought it, she might have a chance with Sam Neill, but she's happy too because she's like, oh, good. Like, you're not the totally perfect couple that I always thought you were. Now I see that actually you guys have a lot of problems and issues, and I realize you're like normal people, basically. And he's, I mean, it's so weird because at that, in that same conversation, he tells her, like, I really hate you. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ. You know? <laughs> like, how you're hanging out with friends, okay? They just you tell them you hate them to their face. <laughs> and that scene with her, too, is one of the parts where there's a weird time thing where uh, he walks in and she's uh, like asleep on the bed and uh, she's uh, just in a t shirt and nothing else. And he walks over and puts a blanket over her and then. He walks out of the room and then he kind of stops and then it cuts and he's back in the room again. Yeah. And she's back to being in the same position she was when he initially walked into the room and the blanket's not on her. Like she's back in the exact same position she was when he first went in uh, without the blanket and laying in that same position. And then he sits on the bed and she kind of gets up and hugs him. And uh, it it almost seems like that happened before the other part, but it's flipped. You know what I mean? Because it was just like, oh, wait, she... Because she's lying in a really distinctive position when he first goes in there. Uh, and then that kind of links, too, to where in this part of the movie... So the Isabel's character wears a blue dress throughout the movie... And we haven't gotten yet to the breakdown part in the subway. But the interesting thing I noticed on this viewing is that her dress is already stained and dirty in the exact way that it is when she has the breakdown in the subway. Which almost seems to imply that some of those kitchen scenes that happened before the breakdown happened after the breakdown. Hmm, that's interesting. I didn't pick up on that. Which I don't know what that means or why that would be, but I, it's just something I noticed, and I'm I have it up. I'm kind of skipping through. So I feel like the uh, well, right? You know, 
I feel like the uh, the subway scene is it's her retelling Mark what happened, and it starts off with her going into a church and because she's got that small bag of groceries with her. She right. Goes to the church and she has that weird interaction with that statue of Jesus. Yeah. She seems to be like very um, angry that that he's that she's not having sort of a spiritual connection with. With uh, with oh, yeah, there's uh, some religion, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And that's like definitely one of like you know the footholds of like oh, like some of the religious elements that I that I think the movie has. And then she ends up going into that subway, and and what a lot of what a lot of uh, people call like the miscarriage scene because I think she might actually did she call it that when she's telling him about it because she's so, yeah. telling, right? <laughs> yeah, which I, 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 yeah, that okay, so that must be, yeah, like maybe a flashback when she tells that part because yeah she's telling and uh and also i think that the the she says it's a miscarriage but i also kind of wonder if uh that's when the monster gets born is because so. also when you see the monster on the bed the first time there's the same kind of puddle of uh blood mixed with white you know, milk or mucus or whatever. It is in the exact same way that you see in the subway when she has the miscarriage there and the mucus and blood is like coming out of her ears and out of her mouth and stuff uh, and making a puddle in the same way. Yeah. The, the only direction she was given for like that entire sequence in the, uh, in the subway was basically like, just pretend you're fucking the air. <laughs> Definitely that, and that did feel very dance like. Mm-hmm. That scene. Oh, also, I, have to, I love the uh, scene though when she around the church scene when uh, she goes and rides the subway, and th- she's being followed by the detective. That uh, because we forgot to mention that Mark hired a detective to see where she was going because she wasn't going to hang out with Margie. Mm-hmm. So right. Want to know where she was staying, right? And so the detective is following her really badly, being really obvious. Yeah. What he's doing, but I love when she gets on the subway and it's completely empty, but there's like one rhino guy sitting there, and she sits right next to him, and then he, he takes one banana out of her bag and eats it, and she just doesn't react or care. I think she's like dozing off or something and like he just takes it. But you're right. I mean, like the whole subway train was empty and she decides to sit right next to the dude. <laughs> and the only other person there is the not so subtle PI that's like yes. who becomes the first victim, which was a really cool kill. And we get, and that was the first time that we get to see the monster. So yeah. he follows her and um, she starts running as she's approaching her building. Because I guess she's sensing that the guy is following her. And he starts running, too, rather than just, like, I don't know, hanging back and watching slowly or watching. And uh, races behind her. And she goes to, like, you know, open her front door. And to try to be a little subtle, he races past her up the (laughs) stairs to pretend like he was running for another reason. And then, like, you know, pretending to, like, you know, walk a couple of flights so that, you know, to throw her off the scent. I like when he mimicked. Uh, making the steps get softer yeah. and softer like they were getting further away. He's an ace detective. Oh my god, he's so bad. <laughs> but yeah, that kill is great. And this is also the point where I have to bring up also, it, I, I, aren't there two monsters? I feel like there are two monsters. How do because, you mean? So, 
he so the detective walks in and he's pretending that he needs to check the windows right uh, that he's with the landlord or with some government agency or something and uh he's gonna check the windows and he's obviously wants to check out the apartment to see if she's with anyone there that and he can report back what he's seen uh and then he goes to the bathroom and it's like the apartment's all pretty run down overall but but then when he gets to the bathroom all the walls are caked with black goo and blood uh and there's like veins and tentacles in the walls and things like that and then you see this creature that has kind of a long cylindrical head and it's got the two weird eyes and the little mouth that opens and closes uh which uh that's such a great scene but then also and then he gets killed and that that's a good kill but then there's the creature on the bed same creature buddy i don't know is is it the same creature though because does it have the The what so the the creature is growing and forming and so he changes a little bit so uh when we first see him he is in the corner well you know he's in the bed and that's when you see it with detective number one and so he sees it and he's like oh and he starts freaking out and um and at this point, he had left. Well, before he went into the uh, into the apartment, he had reported back to Sam Neill about the address. Goes back into the apartment to pretend that he's with the landlord to check out the windows, and forces his way in. She's trying to get him to not be in there, but at some point realizes like, oh, he's going to do whatever he wants, and mm. then pretends to break a bottle so that she'd have a weapon. Mm-hmm. So when he sees the creature, which I believe at that point he is on the bed, no, he's in the corner. That's right, because he's very hard to tell apart, like, what's going on with it. And at that point, you don't see any eyes, and mm-hmm. she stabs him in the neck with the bottle. Yeah. It wasn't until his lover, the other detective, ends up going back to the apartment to look for his, uh, for, for, for his buddy. And then that's when you get to see the more developed monster, which is the, the monster with the green eyes and the tiny little mouth that has, like, the long head. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then he gets shot to death. But it's, the, the monster's supposed to be changing and growing and evolving. And it has like a portal in its stomach. It has like a hole that light comes out of its stomach, which is great. Did I see you know, that? Hmm. It's <laughs> on the bed. It's kind of weird because you kind of can't see it, but I swear there's like a hole in its stomach and light comes out of it. <laughs> All right. But uh, also, I, uh, it, on this viewing, it really felt like this movie was an influence on the first Hellraiser movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? That sounds cool. You know, because uh, in Hellraiser, uh, the blood gets spilled in the attic floor, and, and uh, Frank slowly regenerates. That's true. Uh, on, like, a mattress on the floor for a long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And he definitely has sex with that lady. Yeah. yeah no, nothing says, uh, you know, getting someone in the mood for sex and by, you know, doing it in a dilapidated apartment. On a fucking mattress on the floor. <laughs> The thing is, you had mentioned earlier that you were wondering if uh, she was killing them to feed the creature, which... I, I was hoping, but she never fed him, unless, I mean, she did keep parts in the fridge, but I don't know. I feel like the, they kind of, she did, it wasn't like the creature literally fed on them in an obvious way. But it did kind of feel like every time she killed somebody there, 
that it became more and more, it started to become more and more developed until finally, like once you killed like three or four people, you know, then it becomes the new Sam, the new nicer and friendlier Sam Neill. Is he nicer and friendlier? He seemed just, I mean, cooler and creepier. I guess you could also, it was kind of like he was like a blank slate in a way. You know, he was just sort of like happily nodding and just standing around, you know. I didn't get the sense he was good, but okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, let me check my notes and see what comes next. The reason I say that, though, is because it seems like there's this thing where uh, they each, each have their doppelganger who is like, the more idealized version of the one, you know, where the teacher woman is the nicer, friendlier version of her and the the creature is like her more like idealized version of him sort of thing. Because he also wears, they kind of do a thing with his clothes similar to her where his outfit is like different, you know, than what he normally looks like. I don't know. He just sort of looked like like a a trench coat a lot. He just sort of looked like a fresher, more healthier version of himself. You know, he's been rusting up and just having sex for like months and months. He should be looking good. So um, there's a couple of, there's a bunch of scenes of, uh, of Mark or Sam Neill, like being playing dad and hanging out with the school teacher and doing all that, but uh, the next best thing, basically, <laughs> is when uh, Heinrich comes looking for Mark because uh, you know Anna hasn't been around, and he you know he wants to be with her, and so <laughs> so uh, Mark gives him the address of the apartment, so he goes to the apartment to to find her, and he's got flowers, and and he's he's basically trying to woo her back, and then comes through the apartment, and gets sexually aggressive with her. Um, and then at some point she decides that, well, he's here, might as well show him the, show him the creature. So takes him, uh, basically towards the bedroom. He sees the creature, goes blind for a second, apparently. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, from looking at the creature. Yeah. And, uh, uh, ends up in the kitchen afterwards where he opens the fridge and sees the body parts and freaks out even now, even more. Mm-hmm. And Anna at this point is sort of stabbing him lightly. And I say lightly because like, he's just sitting yeah. taking it. So she stabbed him lightly and then gives him a good one by the shoulder. And so then he runs away, ends up at a bar, calls Mark of all people <laughs> to come and pick him up. And then, like, that was a really cool scene when Mark finally comes out to um, to see Heinrich in, at the bar where he's waiting for him. Because he's being very methodical, even from when he takes that call and he's playing with his little kid. And um, he seems so, like, very, like, he's, he just seems really evil in that, at that time, Mark. Because he has this idea of what he wants to do to Heinrich. Mm-hmm. You know, finds him at the bar. Uh, they go to the bathroom and... Man, was that a fucking scene or what? When he kills uh, Heinrich. Kills him. (laughs) (laughs) Any thoughts, T? What do you think? Well, it's just like the whole thing of like, initially it's like, well, Heinrich was like wanting to do something about it and Mark was really not caring all that much about it. Obviously, he had his own agenda at that point in time. But yeah, like during like the whole like knife and scene with Heinrich, I just kept laughing because like initially it seems like very playful. 
Like, as if, mm-hmm. like, she was, like, trying to cut, like, the buttons off of his shirt to, like, undress him. Yeah. And then it just gets further and further, like, more to, like, actual stabbing. But, like, I, I was more surprised just by the fact that, like, she had actually let him go in that, in that scene. I for sure thought that he was just going to get left there to die. Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, like, she had a, a lot of power over him at that point and, and was was not very bothered to see him run out of there. Mm-hmm. But uh, going back to the bathroom scene, I mean, like, at this point, um, Heinrich is trying to, he's trying to understand what he's seeing. And and basically, the only thing he can focus on is the body parts in the fridge saying that they got to save Anna. They got to do something to get Anna out of this predicament. And so that's why he called Mark, because he felt like, well, you love Anna. I love Anna. We can figure, we can figure this out. We can save her from whatever is happening. But, like, Mark was already had the intention to get rid of him. And this scene was so cold and so, um, I didn't understand what was happening until it was already done. Which is where Sam Neill goes to this, uh, around the corner, uh, you know, I guess still within the the, ba- the area of where the bathroom is, where there's these, uh, uh, just, there's, you know, garbage cans. And he picks out an old shoe and a book. And I remember thinking, like, that's so weird. Like, why would you pick out those two little things? Like, whatever could you be planning to do with these two objects? And then goes to a toilet, and he takes this what looks like a, you know, a Chuck Taylor, and, like, stuffs it in the toilet to clog it, flushes it, and then takes the feather and induces vomiting on himself. So he throws up in the toilet... And then calls Heinrich over, who's really annoyed because he's like, I'm the one who's in, who needs help. <laughs> Where do you need help? And then when he comes around the corner, like, fucking hits him with the uh, the, the toilet tank lid. And then stuff his, his face in the toilet and drowns him. And the toilet's already filled with his vomit. And it was just such a, an incredible an incredible scene like i couldn't believe it and then he flushes it again everything comes out of the toilet a little bit like blood vomit everything and then uh, uh before that he'd taken out some drugs that you know heinrich had on him or some shit like that spreads them around to make it look like an overdose or something uh or a suicide and then he climbs out of the bathroom over the top of the of the stall door yeah because they kept to, it locked <laughs> right then which was definite spy stuff. Oh like that God, whole scene is him. That whole scene is him being in his spy mode, where yeah, you're right. He's like Jason Bourne, uh, you know. He like the way that he knew exactly what he was gonna do when he went out to find the shoe and the feather, and the way he did it, where he spread the drugs and then climbed out, like. That's where you see that he's killed other people in his life as a spy and used these kinds of methods to do That's it. Call out, because I mean, I I just like I said, I was just thinking like, wow, it's so cold and calculated. Because you know that there wasn't, um, he didn't have to figure anything out. He already the plan was already. Yeah, he'd done it before. Yeah, I mean, it connects to to another moment where he. Uh, when he blows up her apartment and he he literally does the Jason Bourne move where he turns on all the gas on the stoves and then takes like a heating element and sets it on top of a book of matches and then runs out the apartment and it literally does the Hollywood, like he's running out the door and it explodes behind him and you get like the full on Hollywood spy 
movie scene. And he's such a multitasker because the I hadn't mentioned the scene right before the bar scene, but he goes straight to the apartment after Heinrich has already left. When he gets there, nobody's there. Anna's not there. Tentacle Monster isn't there. He finds the uh, the parts in the fridge, right? The human parts in the fridge. And you get to see like there's a fuck, there's a head in there and everything. Goes has a breather, but comes back, turns on the gas, takes like an electrical. I don't know what you call that thing, but it was you plug it into the wall. And clearly, it's like a heating element. Yeah. And so, and takes it with them. Goes to the bar, commits the murder, goes back to the apartment because they're only like a half a block. They're across the street from each other, right? I, I think we're given to understand that it's really right next door. Mm-hmm. Um, then he. Uh, he uh, he closed the door with a sheet on it to the kitchen so that the gas would accumulate, and then he has a, a, a matchbook, a matchbook and the and the heating element, and then runs out of there and it, it blows up. But yeah, you're right. It's just I can't believe I forgot about his whole spy life. <laughs> Why he would be so good at this shit? But that's what's so interesting and weird about the movie that it has this weird and we still can. I don't want to jump ahead or you know, but. It continues through the to the end of the movie, but that it has this element because the movie is so much, you know, ninety percent about the relationship and the breakup and how it's affecting them and all that that you forget that there's this weird spy element going on underneath the movie at the same time, and then when it does pop out, it's like, oh wait, what? <laughs> What's happened? It feels strange, but then you realize, oh no, it actually connects it makes sense yeah for me for me though like i just want to say like with heinrich especially like when heinrich was beating him up i completely forgot about like his shady business deals aside from that because he just let him just kick his ass basically didn't even put up a fight potentially he's not trained in in fighting stuff although he must know something about fighting but i mean like it's kind of a total role reversal Mm. at the beginning of the movie you got heinrich being very like dominant in that in those in those scenes where he's being the shit out of Mark, but and then this one it was like uh, Mark's the one that you should be afraid of. Right. Yeah. But you could also say that like maybe when he got beat up in the beginning, that he was so emotionally distraught and so right. messed up in the head that he just didn't fight back. You know. Also, Heinrich's mom was in the other room, so. <laughs> um, which is very Lynch. Very David Lynchian. Uh, the mom and the whole uh, like calling him up and saying, "Heinrich is dead, but I don't know where his soul is." Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's definitely something out of Twin Peaks for sure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I, I mean, this all. I mean, I don't know who came first. I mean, this this movie came out in '81, but of course, this director had been making movies in the '70s. Eraserhead came out in 77, so they're kind of contemporary, so I can imagine sort of uh, them mm-hmm. carrying the scene, you know? Mm, that kind of, uh, like, tw- uh, yeah, Twin Peaks kind of feel to it, the way she was. But, uh, oh, and we also find out that uh, this is also the point where we find out that Margie's been murdered, her throat's yeah, been cut. Yeah. I wish I'd seen that scene because she just comes out of the elevator all covered yeah. in blood as he's going out to meet Hannah. It's like we don't know what happened, but we have to assume, of course, that it was uh, uh, Isabella Johnny's character who yeah. did it. Mm-hmm. And, and she, he then runs in because she's coming out of the apartment 
and he then runs in and she's the only one in there and of course it had to it had to be her mm-hmm. which that's why i do kind of feel like because she does start murdering people pretty actively at the end it does seem to be kind of charging up the monster you know or making it bringing it to uh life basically. and i don't know what you're so convinced when mark t- that mark ii is good <laughs> he was evil <laughs> no no yeah definitely it was bad especially at the end but i just meant like in those first in those early interactions with gotcha. him he's so like such a weird goofy character he's got a very, like blank look on his face like no 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 evil no good just blank kind of but that comes a little later when he's fully formed at this time um, because the second apartment has been blown up. Anna's got to go to Margie's place to sort of, you know, um, um, I don't know, lay low, I guess. And that's where Mark finds her with, you know, tentacle, tentacle monster. And for the first time having sex, yeah. Apparently this monster was supposed to look like a, like a big old penis, just a big old pink condom. And then they had to make changes to him to, you know. To not make him look like that. <laughs> that shot looks really good uh, when she, the sex scene, because it moves in a pretty good, realistic way. Whoa. For, you, know, <laughs> but, you know, for anyone. I don't want to say I was turned on, but I don't want to sound like a bad guy right now. <laughs> so, some early hentai tentacle <laughs> porn. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is before The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, which kind of was the ultimate tentacle creature movie but it does a really good job with the effects you kind of i was sort of surprised by how good the effects are in this movie just because it doesn't you know it's not really the focus of the movie this isn't a uh you know this isn't like the thing where the a big focus is on the cool effects but yet they did definitely go all out with it I was pretty impressed. I mean, we didn't talk about this too, too much, but going back to the electric knife, I mean, they 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 both cut themselves, you know, well, she cuts herself once and he cuts himself like himself like three times on his arm. And it looks it looks good. It looks realistic. There's, you know, like it, it's I, I was pretty impressed with that with that scene and how uh, how good they were able to make that look. But just in general, like just the small amount of special effects there were, they did really well. Yeah, definitely. And then Heinrich's mom, we have some scenes with Heinrich's mom where she appears, I guess, to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She says, you know, she's certain Heinrich is dead. And so she takes some herbs in her, uh, in, and then lies down and appears to die. And then we get Sam Neill telling the story about how you know, the dog that came to die under his uh, porch, which then rapidly connects to Sam Neill at that canal where he sees the drowned dog in the water. And then we get some more spy stuff with uh, where the guy says, that guy shows up and he says, you can't save the dog from drowning, but you can save the world from drowning. <laughs> oh my God. We're back in the spy movie again, and he tries to convince uh, Samuel to you know rejoin and to do his whatever it is he does. 
which he doesn't want to do. And they're weirdly connected. They end up finding out the the sort of government spy people end up finding out where he is and they start coming after him because of the detectives that he hired and who got murdered because the first detective who gets hired his boyfriend then pursues and that guy has connections to the government people that sam neil works with oh okay and they end up finding out what's going on and following because of of him pursuing uh sam neil and so they start to come after him and try to re-recruit him and some more spy shit like you were saying he gets his cab driver to ram his car in the back of the, <laughs> the police car and then distraction and then sam neil gets shot up a bunch and you're like oh no sam neil but no sam neil's not going to take that line down he hops on a motorcycle and has that great scene where it's just him on a motorcycle covered in blood yeah. and just, you know, going full speed. That was, that was very, very cool. And, uh, I love the cab driver, uh, when he gets in he puts the gun to his head and he says, I want you to back up and then drive your cab into that cop car. And the cab driver's like, okay, <laughs> he just immediately <laughs> says yes. And then does it with no hesitation. And then unfortunately he, he does survive the crash and then gets out and runs and then unfortunately gets shot down. I thought that was Sam Neill that got shot because I was wondering, somebody rolls out of the car. Well, it's, it, they both do get shot, but the cab driver gets gunned down as he's running away. And then Sam Neill uses that distraction to oh, then shoot. He shoots the government guy. He mm -hmm. doesn't shoot the cop intentionally. Uh, he just wants to kill the government guy. And uh, the cop stops to help the government guy and Sam. That's when Sam Neill runs away and escapes and uh, goes on his motorcycle ride and then crashes. And, and so then, now everybody's heading to, um, I'm guessing Margie, no, not Margie's apartment, Helen's apartment, who's a school teacher, because she's taking care of Bob. Yeah. And so Sam Neill's going to go get, you know, see Bob and ends up in like, the stair this the great stairwell scene where he's just struggling to get up these i don't know five flights of stairs it was fucking insane it's all shot up <laughs> of course he doesn't make it and then here comes anna and uh new mark evil mark i'm gonna call him who has uh, black he has black eyes instead of he's uh, got green or, eyes he's got greenish eyes i think are they they looked really dark but it might have just been they did look dark but i think they're supposed to be green kind of like helen's eyes they, uh, the monster had the green eyes when uh, when he was on the bed and the oh, okay. found him. Checked, also, they both have blue eyes normally, so then they must their doppelgangers have green eyes, basically. And then for some reason, the cops just shoot them all up. An <laughs> ending which reminded me very much of Reservoir Dogs, you know, uh, at the very end of Reservoir Dogs when uh, the two characters. Uh, Two, the two main characters are covered in blood and have been shot up and they're kind of laying together in a giant pool of blood, which is what we have here. But, uh, and then but they both die. And then she does that great move where she's like laying on top of him and she takes the gun and points it at her own back and then yeah. shoots through she's her like and, yeah. and takes them both out. 
Uh, and then basically, uh, Samuel the, jumps over the railing too. Yeah, he. It's like I know it's kind of funny because it's like okay, we, like we know they're dead. He's dead, but he still jumps over the railing and then is kind of ragdolled at the bottom of the stairs and the government the wood government guy kind of comes and checks him out and there's sort of like a brief happy ending of uh the teacher woman and bob kind of like being together at the end but then uh the movie ends with the sound of bombs dropping and exploding everywhere and uh, presumably the end of the world. Well, then Mark's on the other, evil Mark's on the other side of the door and knocking. Bob's like, don't open the door, don't open the door. So right, he goes yeah. open it anyway. Um, he's, Mark's sort of like writhing on the door a little bit. And then Bob goes upstairs to the bathroom and according to Wikipedia, because I wasn't sure like what, I'm, and this might be debatable. Yeah. Which, yeah, I was like, oh my God, is he? Because they sh they show it early in the movie that he likes to hold his breath, see how long he can hold He's his breath in the, in the water. And, uh, but yeah, he drowns himself and the bobs drop, which I'm, you know, on this viewing, connecting to the whole spy thing that basically Sam, there was this story that like a C, there's like the A story, the B story in movies there was like a C story happening, or maybe this was the B story of you know Sam Neill, the spy who is seemingly instrumental in dealing with this kind of East German, West German, post-World War II, cold, we're in the 80s, so it's the Cold War kind of situation. And the fact that he refuses to participate and he you know, exits out of that whole world uh, leads to nuclear war, essentially, <laughs> and the end of the Earth. Because, all because he wouldn't come back and finish whatever his assignment was. All right. So let me throw at you some of what I, what I on first viewing, thought were, and I still kind of think are uh, religious undertones in the movie. So I kind of took it to mean that Yes, there's all these different stories happening, right? So we've got the separation, we've got the spy stuff, uh, but I thought it was uh, ultimately a story about you know like losing, like losing your faith, right? So that's a uh, you know talking about uh, Anna always in like the blue dress, which I always associated with like images of like the Virgin Mary, like in you know in, in mm -hmm. art and and like the symbolic you know, meaning of, of that color blue. And so she is stepping away from, from her faith. And, you know, she has that great speech about how the, the two sisters inside of her that are fighting and there's faith and chance, or if you want to rename them, there's order and chaos or good and evil. And essentially that subway scene where she's sort of expelling this from her body, sort of expelling, oh, there it goes, John. <laughs> uh, expelling, uh, you know, uh, this sort of thing, and being only left with chaos, and and or in the form of like this this creature that you know that has come out of her. And so she has this great line too. 
is he going to come back? I don't know. She's got this great line that when she goes on to say that we think that evil is, uh, it exists as the opposite of good, mm -hmm. which sort of positions good as the default versus uh, in her speech, you know, good being a reflection of evil. So sort of changing the default to their, to chaos and evil being the default rather than good. And so her basically going over to the dark side and, and, um, and basically, you know, changing that sort of dynamic in, in, in her world. And, you know, I, I thought that was also sort of supported with that scene that she has where she is struggling with that statue of Jesus. And um, I, you know, I did think that Mark II was evil Mark. Mm -hmm. And the opposite of evil Mark was good Helen over here. And so initially I felt it was a, a movie like lightly based on, on a sense of, you know, you know, religious horror. What? And there's a little bit of, and this might be like a little bit of me being affected by another movie, but there is a bit of a element of like the new Mark being the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being. Kind of looks it. I mean, we got Tentacle Monster. <laughs> which happens to coincide with The Omen 2 or 3, where Sam Neill plays the anti plays the grown-up version of the kid from the first omen and is the antichrist <laughs> so there's that uh but no it did and it did feel like probably the end of the world events happening at the end of the movie were because he had been fully born and, and it feels like you know she's like this very like sort of a corrupted version of of you know of the Virgin Mary where she mm -hmm. he is she's given birth to this creature that she's also having sex with and just just everything kind of turned on its head for what you would imagine like you know a, a creation story uh, for for um, a sa uh, a savior would would exist but only for the Antichrist. Well, it's uh, kind of a virgin birth because. Mm -hmm. At that point, they're not necessarily having sex anymore, Mark and her. And it's not totally clear. Like, is it she's been having sex with Heinrich? So maybe it's Heinrich's kid. But, it, I mean, you get the sense that it's not really either of their kids, literally. That this creature was born just kind of spontaneously generated in her. Watching it a second time, I did feel like the that thread was a little looser than I initially thought. But I mean, I like that was my the first time watching it. I felt that that was it. yes, it was a divorce story, but also she's sort of the anti-Virgin Mary, and she is giving birth to the Antichrist, and she is separating herself from from goodness and from from order to go into chaos. And uh, essentially, this is the fallout of her, you know, uh, going through that. So yeah. those, those were the and and, <laughs> and then that was like years ago that I watched the movie. So I was like, yes, religious horror. It does. It's it's pretty. Uh, it's not you know at the forefront of the movie, but it's definitely right. there for sure. And it is. It does feel like it's kind of ultimately like a omen type of story. You know, the Antichrist type of story. But yeah, it's like. Um, you know, it's like uh, how, I guess, you know, she got pushed, like things just, she got pushed to the extremes, you know, and this all happened because of 
basically this insane breakup, this insane really, not just the breakup, but the whole relationship and yeah. how they interact with each other, the toxic uh, relationship, it's extremely toxic, just they're horrible for each other, but they won't, uh, you know, separate from each other. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about it, if we're all looking at like, opposites, then if you consider the virgin birth, you know, the the outcome or the virgin uh, birth, you know, the outcome of the of Christ, then a miscarriage, which I think I could have sworn she referred to it as that, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, could be, could be the, the birth of, of the Antichrist, too. Like that really chaotic, you know, you know, terrifying, you know, uh, subway scene that she did. Yeah. Like I'm sticking to it. It's religious horror. It's the opposite of a birth. Like a traditional yeah. birth, yeah. No, definitely. And it happens underground in the subway, you know, instead of in a nice outdoor area or something like that. In a maze, yeah. in a barn with a nice cow. <laughs> but, uh, this movie definitely uh, kind of stands on its own. You know, there's probably no other movie that you can compare it to, really. Um, you know. well, I was just excited to talk about it. I mean, it's one uh, I've I've always been so impressed by the movie and mm-hmm. never really had a chance to discuss it with anybody because not a lot of I don't know a lot of people that have seen it. Not to say that the movie isn't popular, but um, I guess just not in my circles. It's just been you. It's just been you, John, and now T. <laughs> it is definitely you know it's a famous movie on one hand. But I, I don't, yeah, I imagine not a lot of people have necessarily... It won a bunch of awards, too. So it was debuted in 81 at the Cannes Film Festival. And um, Isabel, you know, actually won a Best, a best Actress award for it, I, I believe. And uh, But the movie was so can- controversial that it was banned in the UK and the US and distributed on video as, like, the video nasty, which is mm-hmm. so uh, ridiculous. Yeah. You know, that a movie would get so much acclaim, but then not, you know, but be re- be released as if it was a B-movie. Yeah, and then it just mm-hmm. got cut to shit anytime it did, you know, appear stateside. And it wasn't until, like, 2000 when we finally got, like, the full iteration of right. it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always been kind of a famous movie in the horror world because of the creature and the effects, which are so good, you know. I remember uh, back in the day... Um, seeing it in Fangoria magazine, which was, you know, pre-internet uh, horror magazine that talked a lot about horror movies, obviously, but mainly special effects and uh, and things like that. And so you, they covered the whole creature and everything. And it always kind of had that positive reputation because of how cool and interesting the creature itself is and everything. Which did, yeah, on one hand, felt a lot like uh, Frank from the first Hellraiser, and also there was a bit when they, when we fir- very first see the creature in the bathroom, that it, it looks so much like Tar Man too from <laughs> Return of the Living Dead. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, yeah, no, I like that. That was great. But yeah, um, and, and just yeah the. The first moments I think you see the creature are really great too because it's this whole relationship movie up until that point. And then when you do see it, they just show you the whole thing right all at once. 
and it's so you know well made and cool looking that you're just like oh oh my god <laughs> there's a literal monster in this movie <laughs> oh my god so weird the great line like he's so tired he's been making love to me all night <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, I'm that's really cool that I wasn't sure if we were going to have a long conversation about this or a short conversation because it's such a crazy movie that it's kind of hard to put your finger on it. And I'm really glad that we're able to like sort of, you know, uh, delve into it, you know, as much as we did. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling a little bad that like last week I uh, I, <laughs> I gave uh, Prince of Darkness so much shit for uh, continuity issues. <laughs> 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 Basically everything I, I was like, I don't know about this. This didn't seem right. And then, you know, like this movie is so hard to follow sometimes. Mm -hmm. But but I love I mean, that's the thing. I do want to go and look on YouTube and see if anybody has analyzed the timeline of the movie because it definitely feels like there. You know, uh, which I mean, we did talk about it. How things are done out of order, and there's like flashback stuff but it's done in a way that it doesn't make it obvious really and so it'd be kind of cool to see if anybody has kind of you know talked about specifically about that and how the story sort of actually plays out in real time yeah we'll look it up yeah yeah all in all though definitely enjoyed just you know this movie explores kind of like the darker side of moving on from relationships and, uh, you know, you know, when you're kind of like going through that, you know, part of the healing process at times, it's just, you know, imagining giving birth to the Antichrist, uh, you know, like your past love just being a truly despicable person or in this case, the Antichrist, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely movie about relationships and breakups. This is yeah, like I was saying, this is a horror movie about breakups. You know, about relationships gone wrong and breakups. I feel like that is, like, what the source of horror is in this movie. You know, it's not a... There is a monster, but this isn't a movie about a supernatural monster. Well, we've talked about it a bunch of times that horror movies love to look at a real fear and then turn yeah. it into a supernatural fear. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that... Which is it's pretty bold, you know. It's like, like I say, there isn't really much to compare this movie to where, uh, that are kind of willing to do this and go this route. And it's definitely, you know, not to sound all snobby, I'm a, obviously a huge horror movie fan, but there are a few horror movies, there's only a couple maybe horror movies that sort of like elevate above the genre in a way you know what i mean where it's like uh it's sort of I, I sort of compare it to uh video games as art where in t will know what i'm talking about but in the video game world you know there's video games and then every once in a while a game will come out where it's like oh this sort of transcends traditional video games it kind of stands above uh, and that I feel like maybe The Exorcist and this movie might be like the two main movies where it's you know this is art <laughs> you know it's like it's a horror movie but it's it's kind of a step above just being a horror movie you know absolutely. <laughs>
All right, possession, 1981. What do we have on the docket for next week? Uh, next week we got Martyrs, which came out in <gasps> 2008. I haven't seen Martyrs yet. I've I been <laughs> talking a lot about it, uh, but uh, I'm really excited to watch it. Yeah, it's definitely one of those movies that, like, when it came out, uh, got a lot of buzz for... I don't know if I would say depravity, but that would probably be one of the closest words, because, you know, it does have a decent amount of torture in it. It deals with child abuse. I would say an indecent amount of torture. <laughs> I mean, it depends on who's doing it, you know? It's like, and what, si what side of the fence are you on? That's that's what matters. But there's, there's one scene in particular... With the chick in the bathroom that just makes my skin fucking crawl every time I watch this movie. And not many not many scenes right. do that to me. But this Looking one does. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so yeah, so um, for those that don't know, it's part of the French New Extreme Wave that came out. That was, you know, alongside movies like High Tension, Frontiers, Inside. Inside. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's it's in that category. It also had a U.S. remake, which I refused to watch because I knew it would just be so toned down that it's probably not even worth bothering looking at. Because uh, you know that's What's another thing. What's the perfect one called? I'm pretty sure they kept the same name. Oh okay. But make sure it's French. Yeah. 2008. Yeah, you don't want the 2015 one. That was the remake. Oh okay, that's the American remake. The last time I tried watching this movie, um, that's the one that I found. I found the remake, and I started watching it, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> this isn't right. And I shut it down. Mm -hmm. It had Jennifer Love Hewitt in it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we're not doing this today. <laughs> All right, well, I'm super excited to watch this movie. Should be a good time, yeah, and uh, we can talk a little bit about the afterlife next week, because that is a big part of that movie. Ooh. Nice. Cool. Alright then, shall we call it a day, gentlemen? Absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, Martyrs on tap for next week, and then we got Amityville Horror the week after. Um, I'll probably see if one of our patrons wants to select the final movie that we do for the month. Sounds good. And uh, if not, we'll uh, we'll come up with something. Deal. Sounds good. All right. Well, you guys enjoy the rest of your week. Again, we will be streaming movies on Kick every Tuesday night for Twisted Tuesday uh, at kick.com forward slash normally drunk, which starts at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. So, uh, so yeah, come join us then. And we'll I'll, I'll probably show one of the newer releases this year, too, alongside that, which kind of goes with this theme as well. Because I really want to show the community Candyland. Candyland? Yeah. No relation to the true? game. Oh. <laughs> you know, just throwing it out there. No, <laughs> that's, that's another fun, you know, religious horror movie that just came out oh, nice. at, at the start of the month. All right. Well, you guys take care and we'll see you next week. Bye.